Welcome to another episode of Marvel's Voices. I'm your host, Angelique Rocher. Marvel's Voices is the place to spotlight diverse storytellers from around the Marvel Universe. And the Marvel Universe is pretty big. We live in an inherently international world, brought together by the internet and various digital platforms that allow all of us to connect, if we choose, to share and even digitally gather wherever we are in the world. Since the dot-com explosion in the mid to late 90s, our ability to communicate with people has not only increased exponentially, but has become a commonplace way for companies like Marvel to discover and work with new talent across the globe. Today, I am digitally joined by Ricky Purden, Talent Relations Director at Marvel Entertainment, which is a very pretty title. Ricky not only works with, but works to discover new and emerging talent from around the world to work on Marvel projects. Hi, Ricky. Hi. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited that you're here. I can't believe we like made it into your extremely busy schedule. But before we start talking about dope artists, I, I really want to talk a little bit more about this really pretty title and what does it actually mean? Yeah. Well, my my title, my group is, is Talent Relations uh, at Marvel. Um, that means something different at all companies, but I feel lucky because... In, in all of uh, American comics, only Marvel has a department like this one. And I don't mean that to brag, but that uh, this group was built by, you know, C.B. Sobolski, our current editor-in-chief, along with David Bogart, who's our current head of operations and, and uh, associate publisher. And those guys built this group to kind of start identifying talent, giving them feedback and, and putting them on specific projects so that their attractiveness to, to fans grew, but also so that they could succeed in the long term, so that, you know, they were there in 10 years for Marvel to uh, continue to work with. And so as director of talent relations, I wear a lot of hats, just like everybody does at Marvel. But, you know, there's there's um, the public facing stuff like portfolio reviews and visiting uh, conventions or um, art institutes and, and talking with the students. And, you know, we provide uh, sample scripts, you know, two or three page short stories so people can don't have to come up with their own stories. They can draw a story that uh, an established writer wrote. And we take those from existing comics. We also give sample cover prompts, which is, you know, the kind of message you would get from an editor to, to say, this is going to be on the cover of Immortal Hulk or Avengers so they can get practice working with a real editor. Because we're able to do all those things and have our eyes on all these, the needs that editors have all at once, and because we, we know who's out there and what people are working on, the group, the editorial group comes to us for suggestions of talent to work with. Uh, that sounds really cool, but it also seems <laughs> like a lot of work. Um, it is. It is. How has your process for discovering talent evolved over the years? Before quarantine, I was going to a lot of conventions, and not just in the U.S., across the world. There's conventions in Asia and Europe and Australia and Brazil, Italy, everywhere. And so we found that by kind of going to those regions and talking to people who have grown up Marvel fans their whole lives— they've been quietly gestating and, and making art that's that's in the Marvel manner, that like American superhero dynamic storytelling, but also infused in it their own local flavor. You know, the, the art from the, the artists in their countries um, who've been making art for decades. And, and, and so we get a, a bunch of different voices at Marvel that way. Once, once they see somebody in their country make it, like Carlos Pacheco in Spain or Sarah Pichelli in Italy, Humberto Ramos in, in Mexico, it gives those artists a, a, a bunch of hope and they kind of go, yeah, you know, this is possible for me to do something like this. So traveling to conventions was always the, the 
the most rewarding and that we could go. And, and sometimes we would go year after year and we would see some of these artists grow. And that was great because, you know, it's rewarding in this position. It's not the point of this position, but it's rewarding in this position to see somebody a second year at a convention and go, hey, you've gotten better. I think I could get you work. And a couple months later, they're working because they put the work in. So yeah, the, the conventions were always a, a big part of it. And obviously the internet is, is the biggest component, you know, whether it's us headhunting somebody that we see online or a writer sharing a link to somebody's portfolio online that they liked. That just allows everybody who has access to the internet to put their work up and, and you know, give their contact information and we can communicate online. They can use Google Translate if, if they don't know English. I love it. So today on the show, we actually have two incredible artists and folks I would consider friends, Code, aka Boss Logic, and Luciano Vecchio. And one of the coolest things about their work is that they've both really used this digital space, this landscape and social media to leverage yes. themselves as artists, but also share their art with fans and potential employers like Marvel. First up, we have Code, aka Boss Logic, as I just mentioned. Mm-hmm. Ricky, how would you describe his art style? Uh, it's interesting. He, his is a photorealistic style, I'd say, but he also brings his own personality to it in that he understands foundations of painting. So, you know, composition, literally how your eye gets drawn across a piece or lighting. It's not about just taking a photograph of, you know, Chris Evans and putting a filter on it and, and selling that. You know, someone might buy that from you, but that's that's really not what he does. He he takes pieces from a bunch of different places, almost like a collage. And then he goes in and starts working out the details so that it feels as one whole piece. It's not just a photograph that he cut and pasted a bunch of pieces together. This is individually his. He, it's not stolen. It's not an homage. He, he makes the pieces his own. So how are you first introduced to Code? Well, I kind of haunt social media. So I he showed up in my feed a few different times and... Then I noticed he got, you know, legitimate work. He was doing movie posters. Um, suddenly, it wasn't just him fan casting. It was him uh, getting work from um, the movie industry that he was a huge fan of. Like, that's got to be such a crazy, it's got to be such a crazy dream come true moment for, you know, for someone in Hollywood to reach out to you and say, we want to actually pay you for this. And, you know, he did the Avengers Endgame poster. That's pretty cool. And that was one of the things we actually had a chance to talk to him about in our interview, including his meeting with the Russo brothers. So, Code, how did you get your first work with Marvel? Like, what did it look like? And for those who may not know, what was it? Okay, my first gig with Marvel officially was um, the work on Endgame, the posters. And how that came to be was Joe Russo messaged me a few months before the the actual poster came out, and he goes, he wants he wanted to work with me on Infinity War, but it was way too late, so he couldn't get me in on that. So I was in the states at one point last year, and Joe Russo said if I can come to the to his studio, so we did, and. He took us and gave us a tour. Then he sat us in his office and he's like, he was like the most chill dude I've ever seen. He sat down and he's like, got his um, feet on the table and he's like, I love your work. I'm like, thank thank you. (laughs) Thank you so much. And he goes, no, no, seriously, I love your work. And you're so creative. You're, You're one of the fastest guys I've seen. And then he got to talking and 
he goes, he wanted me on Endgame. And I'm like, I'm in. Like, I, I didn't even negotiate or anything. I'm just like, I'm in. And then from then, I got, a, he get, I think he made a call to Disney and we got a meeting at Disney and we went in and done like, it wasn't even an interview. It was just like, okay, you ready to do something? I'm like, yep. <laughs> and then from then, um, just got the storyboarding and got to do it. It was crazy. Did Joe Russo ever tell you like what it was that he saw that he loved that that kind of started this whole chain reaction? The thing that stood out the most to him was um, I did this series called Avengers series where it's the posters, it says Avengers and it has like dead Avengers like pieces, like their hands or something. And he loved that approach. And then he he loves that I can switch my style up to something completely different. And that way he can, if, if he used me, he can, he will have like an artist that can do many things. So I think that's what he liked. Your art is very unique, but how would you, for someone who is just being introduced to your work, describe your style and, and what do you like to bring to your work that makes it unique to you? Um, my photo style is um, photorealism. Um, basically how it's done. There's a few approaches to it. I, I usually Frankenstein like my, the bodies that I use and, you know, stitch them all together, then paint them over them just to blend them all together. And then building the sceneries, building the backgrounds. But the main thing with my style, and if you've seen it a lot, I love doing what Marvel does and put a whole bunch of Easter eggs and things. And from there, also, I love putting a story element when they let me, because especially with posters and stuff, I love telling a story. I feel like most posters these days are lacking that. And that's that's what I try to bring my, to my work, basically story element. That's kind of dope. Talk to me. Let's take a step back about Frankensteining. Do you mean like utilizing other resources kind of like an artist would use like a reference point and then like stitching together those to get the right model that you're looking for. Yeah. yeah. So I, I, I'll stitch a few body parts together to get the right pose or something just when it looks right. Like Photoshop has awesome tools. Now when you put stuff together, it's like puppet warping and you basically get the pose that you want. Then after you get the pose, right, you will draw the suit on, I'll draw the the face proper and like paint over it to keep the whole feel of it real. And that's why my stuff looks real at the end of it. So as you're kind of thinking about these concepts, um, when you get inspired, like what what is it? Because I feel like as a person who followed you and as a person who's seen your work, like you are across the board a person who I feel like sees a thing, gets excited about it, goes, ooh, it could look great as this. So what does that process look like for you on a daily basis? And is it something that, like, are you scanning the internet? Is it like news feeds that come through? Like, where do you start with your work? Um, most of my works, the creative stuff you see is like, I'm pretty sure you do it too. It's like you get a notepad on your, on your phone. And if you have an idea, you just put it in your notepad. And that's basically what I'm doing all week. Every time I have an idea in my head, I just put it on the back burner list. Like in case there's rainy days where I don't have an idea, I can, you know, get an idea that I had before. 
Talk to me about what the process was for doing work on Spider-Man Far From Home. Disney picked me up for work on Aladdin and then Sony saw my work and they wanted to do some work as well. And then they reached out and they said they have a campaign for Far From Home if you're willing to jump on it. And it's like, of course, it's like, I'm not going to say no to that sort of stuff. <laughs> so I, I, I jumped on that as well. And the best thing about it, Sony and Disney gave me kind of like freedom to do what I wanted to do, which is rare. So I was kind of fortunate for that. You seem like you're a huge Marvel fan. Were you also like a comic book kid? Like, did you did you like comic books, reading them or like reading loved, that kind of art? I loved comic books. I loved anime. I loved, I loved everything that you can draw. I even loved wrestling. I, I used to draw wrestling characters and make my own characters. But the thing that inspired me most was um, X-Men. And you got the old Jim Lee comics that blew my mind back then. And I kept wanting to draw Magneto and Wolverine. Here's the thing. I love all comics. That's like I'm saying everyone. But Marvel, the reason I love Marvel a lot is because that's where I started. That's what made me fall in love with comics. So it was the branch that grew up the tree of comics that I love today. The reason I love Marvel so much is because at schools, like when I drew the comics and that was a hard time in life. Like we were like broken stuff. So that kind of, whenever I see Jim Lee's comics or the intro to X-Men, I remember those days Mm. and that will always have like a spot in the heart. Did you ever think that you wanted to draw cartoons? I did, but I always wanted to draw comics. I've always wanted to actually do a cover and it's kind of surreal now that I actually have, which is crazy. (laughs) And I've actually done uh, collaborated with Jim Lee on one of the picks. And that's like a bucket list in itself. So talk to me about how you got involved on the Marvel comic side. The Marvel comic side of things kind of happened randomly. Um, so I did a few jobs for DC first and my style kind of fused. Like if you looked at my covers, then they don't look like normal covers. They look like my style on covers and they kind of wanted that sort of thing. And I was really happy that they they didn't make me change my style. They just wanted my style to fit the comic. And Marvel wanted to take a chance on that, and they did. So, Ricky, one of the things I love about Boss Logic's work is, like, he always seems to be 10 steps ahead in his own brain about how he (laughs) is developing things. And that actually led to him doing a pretty cool variant cover for Marvel, right? Yeah, it's actually it's actually unusual the way that he he broke in to Marvel in, in that one day one of our editors of the Captain Marvel book, uh, Sarah Brunstead, reached out to me. She said that Kelly Thompson, who writes Captain Marvel, spotted a piece by Boss Logic on on her feed and said it, it looked beautiful. And so Sarah just kind of reached out and said, you know, would it be possible for us to reach out to this guy and see if he want to do something? And it's not common. It's very uncommon, actually, for Marvel to see a piece by somebody online who doesn't already work for us and then reach out to them to buy it. That's falling backwards kind of into success in, in, in a very unusual way for us. Um, we like to cast our covers. We like to give feedback. We like to give directions so that when someone turns in the final piece, it's something we've collaborated with together. 
But it just shows the strength of his abilities is that he did something for fun and it was exactly Marvel ready. You know, it was, it was a very specific outfit for Captain Marvel for an arc where I think she um, kills the Avengers. I won't, I won't give spoilers away. But it was a new costume for her. And just like the, the shot that he did was dynamic. It wasn't just a photo of somebody. It was eye-catching. And so, you know, I reached out to him thinking, you know, a lot of times when we go across genres of art, uh, mediums of art, it can be hard to bring talent over into comics because... You know, there's so much difference in compensation. People who work in the fine art world, people who do artwork for, you know, uh, hip-hop albums or, or whatever, they get paid a certain amount and there's a certain expectation, a certain kind of quality they have to work toward. They, they do a certain thing. It isn't always pop art, which is what Marvel does. So it can, be, it, can be, it can be tough sometimes to get on the same page about, hey, this is expectation, this is what we want to do with you. Um, but he was into it right away. He's a fan of comics. He was like, I'm a big fan of Kelly's. Um, he knew he knew the, the material. He, he knew the new costume was that what the new costume looked like. So it was very easy at that point. You, you're suddenly talking on a fan level, like, hey, cool, like you're into this too. Let's do this. So after that, it was just about keeping him in the hallways, and uh, that rolled into a new Spider-Man uh, variant cover. And we're continuing to work with him today. So yeah, I'm, I'm glad he has time for us actually. Where exactly did you grow up? So I grew up, so I was born in Syria. And at the age of two, my dad flew us over here to Melbourne, Australia. And ever since then, I've been living in Melbourne, Australia. And I rarely got out of this place. But the place is beautiful, just just a saying. But I was never comfortable to go anywhere else. So Melbourne, Australia has always been my home. And as it's of like two years ago or three years ago when I, start, when I got my first state trip, that was the first time I actually left the country. Wow. So what was your childhood like? Did you start drawing? Was it something that started just on the computer? Like how did you get into art and, and what did that look like? My dad, my dad was an artist, so I got my inspiration from him. And when I was six, that's all I did. I just drew. I drew in school. I drew all the way up to high school. And I was failing high school because that's all I did. I would draw my textbooks in my science class. I even failed an art class, which is weird. But yeah, so I knew drawing was my thing. And unfortunately, I had to drop out in year 10, year 11. That's before you graduate. Year 12 is when you graduate in Australia. I had to drop out because we had family issues. And then I had to put my art on hold and just start working. But then I lost track of drawing, but my friend convinced me to pick it back up. So at the age of 15, 16, I started picking it back up. And then he showed me Photoshop so I could take my work digital. And ever since then, I started building my work from there. So it was thanks to my friend that I actually got back into it. That's that's really cool. So your friend introduced you to Photoshop. You get into Photoshop, but there is another step. Like when did you decide and why did you decide to start posting your work online? So basically when I first started doing digital art and started getting, I will say pretty good at it, but like I look back at it now, it's trash. But, <laughs> but when I started, it was MySpace. It was like I was doing banners for MySpace, backgrounds, you know, you know, people that had that glitter backgrounds and stuff. I used to do stuff 
kind of like mixtape covers. <laughs> so I, I tried to do it like so I can get the rapper's attention. And, and, I, and I got picked up. Like some stuff went viral back then. Viral back then was probably like 300 views or something. <laughs> but there was a funny story that Rick Ross, um, whoever was running his official account, wanted the display picture um, that I knew how to do. I knew, I knew how to make animated display pictures. And so I was so excited when they reached out to me and I made it and they're like, we'll pay you $40. And like back then I was like, oh my God, $40, I made it. $40 from Rick Ross, that's it. That's ball of money. That's such a dope story though. And you're right. Like back then if you got 300 listens or 300 views or like folks started following you randomly on MySpace, it was huge. Back then in MySpace days, because I used to do mixtape arts that was getting pretty good traction. So after Rick Ross, you know, posted all that sort of thing. Um, back in the days, there was a, whoever was running Drake's account. Drake wasn't even a big thing back then. And they asked me to do like, what, like, are you available for album covers and stuff? And it's like, I looked at the page and all that sort of stuff and I passed on it. I'm like, nah, <laughs> it's like, like I'm doing stuff for Rick Ross and stuff. So I'll just pass this. And it's like, I look at it now. I'm like, I regret this so much. <laughs> <laughs> but you I, like when you look at MySpace, it was such the wild, wild west of creativity. And you just could not have known. Like there were blue check verifications. Like you didn't you didn't you didn't really know that kind of stuff in that phase of the Internet. No, no, no. Back then he was like, if you, if you looked at his page back then, you looked at him as an artist back then, he was just like the standard artist that went in, like every other guy in the pool. So I kind of skipped on it. And you look at it now, it's like you regret it. <laughs> but now you've expanded out, you're on Facebook and, and of course you're on Instagram and Twitter, but like, do you feel like there's like for the Tumblers, the Instagrams, the Twitters that you use each of those differently? Do you just post the same stuff? Like, What's kind of your strategy for your work now? Because I feel like online is kind of your primary place for everything that you do. So, yeah. So I basically post, I post everything the same on each network, but I treat how I post it differently on each network. Like for Instagram, I post it and I respond to some fans if they need help with anything, if they need like answers about certain questions about said things. And every community is different. Like when I post it on Twitter, I, I be careful what I say because Twitter has this branch thing that it does. You put it out there. It's like, it's the best thing to someone. It's bad to someone. It's good to someone. I was like, and the thing is, I'm a nice guy and I like to respond, but apparently responding to it lights the fire even more. So you just have to keep your mouth shut. <laughs> but at, and Facebook... Facebook, as of this year, I'm using it more communicating to my fans-wise because last year or year before that, it was really hard to communicate with fans. You post your work and there wasn't really – it just goes cold. Even though it, you share your stuff, it's like it, Facebook always felt cold. But now it's it's picking up traction. Yeah, yeah. It has really – it's interesting seeing the interactions of folks on Facebook versus Twitter – do you enjoy posting your art online? Do you feel like it's an extension of your job that, you know, this is something you think about when you're creating the art or is this just kind of, this is just kind of a space that you use? I love posting my 
the art I, I do, the, the official arts I do, like the ones that take time, the ones you see me post every day, I'm literally doing it to entertain people. And I find that that's what I've been doing for the last few years is entertaining people. And I enjoy it. And, and it brings traction to my real work. So they'll see my entertaining work and they'll, they'll, then they'll check out my real work and then companies will check out my real work. And that's what's been happening, circles. My last question is, and I kind of I kind of just love asking this question because artists always follow other artists. Like it, it's never like one of those moments where you're like, you're going to find an artist and they've never, ever, ever followed another artist or like been a fan of another artist. Are, are there any other artists online besides Jim Lee, obviously in comics um, that you admire or look to or follow or just a big, huge fan of? Definitely. Um, Mike Orduna, his name is Feto as an artist name. He's the reason that I stayed into digital art. Like I wanted to quit a million and one times, but he's the reason I'm still actually going. He's the only artist, like, you know, back in the days when you message someone, like someone you idolize and you just need a word of advice and stuff. He's the one that responded to me back in the MySpace days and stuck with me till this day. We still talk. And it's crazy that he's like got a wife and kid, kids now. He's got like three kids and he's still into art. And just recently he said that I inspired him to get back into art, which is kind of like full circle. Seriously, seriously, seriously. Boss Logic is really amazing. And, and so is uh, his work and what he does. And I'm really excited because now we get to switch gears to another amazing artist, someone who works more traditionally throughout the comics industry, including covers, interiors, pencil, design, Luciano Vecchio. Um, yes. And for those who may not understand what I meant by traditional, Ricky, talk a little bit about what that means and, and maybe a little bit of insight on how you first encountered Luciano's work. Yeah, um, I think by traditional you mean much closer to what you would see normally in an American superhero comic, uh, especially a Marvel comic, which is, you know, clean line art, traditional storytelling, traditional colors, you know, bright, vibrant colors, but, you know, rendering and modeling on the figures and in the backgrounds that's done with line art as opposed to, you know, photorealistic digital painting that Boss Logic does. And so Luciano, I'd, I'd known Luciano stuff for a long time. Luciano worked for People say, you know, oh, this guy's this guy's a rising star. He just broke in, like it just happened overnight. But he drew hundreds of pages for an independent comic before he got Marvel work. He was working with a small company in New York, I believe, and he he put the work in. Like he he worked really hard for a long time without you know a claim on characters that were independent characters, and just did the work. So that when he did come over to Marvel and try to do some work. Um, he found some limited success early on. It was mostly kids' books. And and when I say kids' books, I mean artwork that was a lot more open, um, not a lot of rendering, not a lot of modeling. Really easy to read stories uh, that, that that children can can make out, you know, books that are based on animated series and those kinds of things. So it was stuff that played to his strengths as, as this kind of bouncy, youthful art style. You know, it's whimsical and, and fun, but it's not, it's still not that Marvel dynamic you know, on the Avengers kind of artwork. And, and, and we hooked him up and he, he, he put the work in. And then he turned in a, a sample cover prompt for, for Ironheart and 
that led to bigger things. And and then he ended up being the artist on Ironheart. And I have to say that I was excited to have a chance to talk to him a little bit about that work and working with eViewing. Talk to me about how you kind of start this process of referencing and drawing when it comes to a character you could not be more geographically distant from. <laughs> Far because from. you're drawing Chicago, but <laughs> it's a whole other world from you being from Argentina. Yes, and I never been to Chicago. I, I wanted to visit last year, but I, I couldn't make it. Uh, well, Eve Ewing, the writer, was uh, very helpful with, uh, and very specific with the reference from the start uh, about her, about locations. She will include in the script, photo reference, hairstyles, everything. So it, it made my job so much easier. So, yeah, it was mostly asking her what the right way will be and, and she will comment on anything that needed correcting. But yeah, and at the same time, aside from the visual look of Riri and, and her work, I really connected with Riri as a character, like her personality. I could identify so much with how I was being a teenager, like totally weird and, and socially aware, as I said before, and having difficulties to communicate with my friends and, and all that. So that made it so much easier for me, like projecting myself in the parts of Riri that I could identify with. How was it working with e-viewing? It was incredible. It was unplanned and it was uh, like a happy accident. But I felt like it was, uh, it couldn't have, have been a better match for me for to start on the Marvel Universe because she like checked on every item that touches my, like my course, you know, like, uh, the, especially the, the emotional tone of, of the scripts. I, I, I will read the script of issue five, I think, the, the last of the, first arc, and he was crying. I, I will write her, ah, I'm crying. <laughs> also getting to chat with her as a, outside of the collaboration. You know, when, when in this work, you almost never get to pick who you work with. And with you, I felt like it was uh, the best match I could ask for. I'm a fan of her. I mean, so <laughs> I still read everything else she, she's writing. So I always like to call, and, and I'm not the only person who calls it this, so I don't want to take credit, but comics are a team sport, right? You work with the editors, you work with the writer, but for you, you are mainly email communications. How is it working with editors mainly via email? Uh, it, it works. I mean, it, it works, but... Uh... Since uh, I got the chance to actually meet the editors in person for one or two meetings when I visit uh, New York, it made all the difference. Even if I used to always work through just email, it was much more impersonal. And now that I I have met my editors, I just feel the the, the communication is more, much more human and sensi sensitive. So it works, but it is better with uh, having met in person. 
Where did you grow up? I grew up in Zarate, a small, smaller city close to Buenos Aires. I, I have Argentina. so many questions. But I live in Buenos Aires since like 20 years now. What was your childhood like and how did you get into drawing? I was like a classic nerdy kid, you know, like very introvert and like not, not interested in sports and what every other kid likes. And at home, I, I have an older brother. He collected comics and he used to draw. So I started copying him. I don't know. I, I really like like escaping into the comic world since I was very, very young. Like it was my like my game of choice, just drawing and doing my own comics. And even before I, I learned how to write and read. So what were for you, like, uh, I think every kid has a particular comic or a particular character or a particular story. Like, what comic books were you reading and looking at as a kid? Uh, it was always superheroes. I We, we will get the, the Spanish translations of DC Comics and Marvel Comics. I don't know, like, Super Friends was on the TV and the Spider-Man and His Amazing Friends. Like all the the older cartoons, those were my like more of my formation when I was little. In my teenage years, we start getting a lot of manga and anime influence. So that's why my like my style or my my foundation is a mix of everything, but mostly superheroes. I always liked uh, team books more. Like having a lot of characters, different uh, costumes and personalities, and that soap opera feel. And I will draw them all the time and create my own superheroes. So when did you like jump from being a, a fan and drawing other superheroes to actually like wanting to draw your own comic books? I did it as a game like my whole life. In my teenage years, I would start to write and draw my own, like uh, like doing more horror and mystic stuff. So it, I, I guess when I finished high school, I I, I started going to college and doing. I, I, I thought I would be doing a graphic design like as a career, but only because I didn't believe I could make a living of, as a comic artist. But it turned out I could because I, I was very young. I was like only 19 when I got my first job doing comics for a very small publisher in New York, uh, an independent publisher. I made a comic called Sentinels. It was a long project, but it took me four years to do four graphic novels, 200 pages each. So it was like an impressive amount of work where I learned everything, just working and working and working. That's what the turning point for me. So how did you get that first paid comic book job? It was uh, the times of the early internet before social networks. And I will post my fan art and stuff on message boards mostly. And someone saw it and this uh, writer-publisher, and he he asked me if I wanted to collaborate with his project. He was writing, he was self-publishing, 
And at first, I will only help with uh, character pinups and some pages, but then uh, he asked me to do the whole scene. It was uh, kind of random, but um, a lucky strike. So now I'm curious, like everybody has their own kind of story about why they first started posting their art online. When did you when did you start posting and, and what made you decide to go that route? Well, when when I was a teenager, I I like didn't fit in in my context very much. We, like my friends didn't have the same interest. Like, I was the only one interested in comics. And I, by then, I was reading comics in English as they came out and participating a lot of on message boards and uh, discussions and all that. I was always uh, attracted to digital drawing and coloring. I insisted to get my first scanner when I was 13. And it was like before it was uh, a common thing in every house. I was lucky that my parents always support that exploration. So I was working digitally uh, very early and I wanted to show it to the world. So I will go and, and post uh, and try to find someone who will care about it because uh, like, my friends will be supportive, but uh, not really care in the same way as, another, mm-hmm. as other comic fans. And I think that's really cool because a lot of folks do talk about the online art community. Like for you, tell me, like, what is the online art, comic art community like? Oh, uh, it has changed so much, I think, uh, since I, I was participating back then. When I was younger, I felt it like uh, it was like a mutual support thing. But when I started working, I, I put all my time and effort on, on that job that I, I wasn't posting so much anymore. So I think I only in the most recent years, I came back to a new wave of uh, social sharing with uh, social networks and and it's uh, such a different digital landscape now. <laughs> I mean, I, absolutely, right? Because I remember growing up and going on Deviant Art, and everybody having an Angel Fire page, and like it was very different. So, right. what platforms um, did you use, and and have you know have you changed? So, like I know people use Deviant Art, Facebook, Tumblr. A lot of folks are now just using their Instagram for this kind of stuff. You know. For you, where did you start? Like, where were the message boards that you were kind of doing? And and has that changed for you? Uh, when I, back then, it was uh, the message boards. There was one called Comic Block or something like that. But then I started on Deviant. I'm, I, I'm still, I still am on DeviantArt. Now I use more Facebook and Twitter. Uh, Twitter is more recent for me. I, I took too long to realize that everyone in the industry was using Twitter and not <laughs> other networks. <laughs> so that was a game changer in the like three or four years ago. So do you feel that you use each of the platforms differently or for different reasons? I use, no, I, I with my art, I post the same thing everywhere and get different reactions from different platforms. 
But for example, Facebook, I use more for my my local posting, like when I want to talk about my, I don't know, stuff in the local industry in Spanish, I will do it on Facebook. And when I want to talk exclusively in English for the the international audience i do it on twitter for example i have i have Instead noticed double posting everywhere i have i have noticed <laughs> it's like one of those things where it's like oh okay 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 do you enjoy like everybody has different impressions of the stress that comes with posting online or the joy that comes with posting online like do you enjoy posting your art online like for you do you think it's like an extension of your your job yeah i I like it. I I think sometimes I just need uh, to post something and get uh, some interaction, like to feedback on my enthusiasm and keep drawing. Especially when when I'm working on a monthly book and I can't post anything <laughs> for a while, I like to take the time, draw something, sketch something, or do a commission and have something to post and and show and have that interaction online it's uh, like gratifying in a way so now you're at marvel and i remember seeing your work for the first time and being like yo this is amazing who is this person how did you first start working at marvel for my first work for marvel was for the um kids lines i was doing cartoon based comics uh, for dc i was doing like Green Lantern animated, um, Beware the Batman, and an editor at Marvel saw my work and brought me to do uh, Avengers and Spider-Man, all the comics based on the TV shows. I was like doing that at the time. But I grew tired of that because I was working with adapting my style to TV show styles. And after a while, that got uh, very limiting for me. So at some point I start over. I I asked editors on Marvel to to do new samples from scratch uh, with my own style for the main universe. I was asked to do uh, an Iron Heart cover just as a sample, but then I posted it online, and then the editor Alan Smith saw it and wanted to use it as a alternate cover. Then when the the artist uh, assigned to the book uh, move on to different projects, I stayed as the main artist on Ironheart. And that was a turning point for me, like the turning point in my career so far. So this was actually one of those situations though, Ricky, where there was an actual prompt. There was a, a, a cover prompt that was sent to Luciano that kind of ish worked on how he ended up getting on more main <laughs> comics. Yeah, yeah, no, that's kind of like Boss Logic. He kind of fell backwards into it. You know, he he reached out saying he'd like to try some new samples. You know, he, he worked on his own stuff for a while. And then he he reached out to me. It's a really fun story, just like Boss Logic, actually. And no two people have the same origin story, I feel like. He reached out to me, you know, and asked for sample cover prompts and sample scripts. And I think one of them was uh, Ironheart against a wall with bullet holes in the wall. And that's a, that's a prompt that we give a lot of people because it's tough to tell that story. The story being, it's not just a cool shot of Ironheart 
someone in front of Ironheart is shooting at her, some sort of projectile, and she's about to go stomp them. And there's there's a tension there. You have to kind of draw smoke coming from the bullet holes. There's got to be a story that you tell, not just one image of a, a character just standing. And he did a great job on it. He had some other samples of his own that he did a shot of the Avengers. Um, but ironically, Alana Smith, who works in the, the Avengers office, she's an editor in the Avengers office, she saw the Avengers pinup and we were launching all new, all different, I believe, uh, Avengers number one. And she liked the Avengers piece. And so we bought it just like the boss logic thing. She was like, hey, this is something I think looks really neat. I think we could use it on this book. It's, it's, it's a good style. Let's, let's put it on this book. And then she saw, she saw the, the Ironheart piece and was like, let's buy that for the first issue of the new Ironheart series. I showed her, you know, some of his interior work. She had seen some interior work that he had shared with, with her, Alana. And when Alana needed some help on the Ironheart interiors um, for the schedule and things, Luciano stepped up, like, and he, he impressed. It was, it, it's, it's a telling sign when an artist does something in one office and another office is like, hey, I, I want that artist. It means that that artist can speak to different kinds of audiences, different kinds of storytelling. He's grown as a guy who can convey emotion in the eyes and in body language and, and also do a cool action scene. So it's, it's, it's everything that you need a Marvel artist to be, Luciano stepped up into. And again, it was years of hard work on a book that not a lot of people read so that he could show, I can do this kind of work now. Okay, so now in this present moment, because things have changed, Luciano, when folks are asking you for stuff, do you have a a digital portfolio that you send them or do folks just go on your Instagram and find your work? Like particularly like when you want to get recruited or hired for projects, how does that work? Uh, well, by now, yeah, it's mostly social networks and uh, published works. Like I, I will show you here's 12 issues of Ironheart. <laughs> There's everything you need to see. I mean, those are that's 12 substantial issues of Ironheart, so I get it. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, um, but it, it, it depends of every instance. Like for when, when I needed to do uh, new samples for Marvel, they will give me a sample script and I will produce six pages from scratch just for that sample, for that evaluation. So it depends of... Uh, every publisher has its own rules for discovering new talent. So you have to stay creative, alert, learning different ways to approach different publishers. So you wrote a amazing story for Marvel's Voices number one, uh, which is one of my faves still to this day. Um, talk to me about the process of writing your one page story like uh because this is the first comic you both wrote and drew correct uh for marvel yes uh, i do have my own creator own comics uh, where i write and draw in spanish uh, and i'm trying to get those translated now but it was my first for marvel which is uh something very special because being a non uh, native english speaker so it was uh, the editor, Chris Robinson, uh, invited me to be part of the anthology as an artist, not as a writer. 
and I was waiting for my script and I wait and wait and I was getting uh, anxious and I wanted to... I was very happy to be part of this anthology in particular. So I asked uh, Vita Ayala what they were writing for the special. Um, Vita asked if I was writing mine and he was like, if Vita thinks I can write it, maybe I can. <laughs> so <laughs> I wrote my edit the editor and just pitched this idea. And uh, since it was one one page, I just wrote it and I sketched it in, and showed him. And I did, this is a story that actually works better in this context, like one page as part of this particular anthology. Um, because even if the, the, I always wanted to write under something like, like this. And I had talked to, to editors about it before. And it will lead to talks about like, well, why would they get these characters, all these queer LGBT characters of the Marvel Universe get together? You will find, need to find the, the excuse and the context to, for such a story. If you wanted to do, I don't know, like a special or a miniseries, it will be like harder to come up with. But in this context, this special one page, it was perfect. I think it was it was really, really amazing. And I think, you know, one of the things that it seems to me and you can correct me if I'm wrong, you really finally got into comics and to this point because someone saw your work online. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, that was amazing. I want to say a special thanks, obviously, to Code, aka Boss Logic, and Luciano Vecchio for making times from their respective countries. But also, uh, very many, many thanks to you, Ricky, whose inbox, I am sure, has continued to grow as you've been here <laughs> with me right now. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. I, I love talking about what we do. Um, it's fun letting people know how it all works. Yeah, I mean, and we're really grateful because you did mention this this whole idea that Marvel, and, and we all say this constantly, Marvel is the world outside your window. Um, but it's so incredible to really think that it's the world outside of all of our windows, all around the world, all around the globe. And, you know, this just reminds everyone that, you know, perspective and the depth of um, experience that's brought to the comics and the different parts of Marvel that we read, we know, and we love. Yep, and we talk about being a family creatively, and it's great that, you know, all the creators can collaborate and work together to create such great stories for everybody. So, yeah. yeah. Thank you. Marvel's Voices is produced by me, Angelique Roche, Percy Overlin, M.R. Daniel, and Jorge Estrada. Our director of audio is Jill Duboff. Our development manager is Brad Barton. This episode was mixed by Cedric Wilson at Lantigua, Williams & Co. Our theme music was composed and performed by Kamau Wainaina. <laughs>